Silence is uncomfortable. Right? And unfortunately, people like me try to fill that silence with words, lots of words. But when we fill the silence with lots of words, then words become cheap. The more words we use, the cheaper they become. And talk becomes cheap. I mean, we've seen that in our own lives, right? I mean, people who, who make big promises or say that they can do these grand things and, 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 and we look at them and say, well, talk is cheap. We're heading into a season now where we'll be voting in just a couple of months and we just see a lot of cheap talk, don't we? Just words become cheap. I'll do this. I promise that. When I get in, we're going to do this. When I'm in office, we'll do this. And while it's like we have become accustomed to not believing those words. Am I right? And talk becomes cheap. How far would you go to defend what you believe. What would you be willing to do? What lengths would you go to to show people your beliefs? Would you be willing to become penniless? To give up everything you have financially and materially would you be willing to become homeless for what you believe? Would you be willing to live in a perpetual state of tiredness? And I know some of you are like, Doug, I've got young children. I'm there, okay? But would you be willing to, to be in a place of living in sorrow Living in, not visiting, right? Not, not just there for a couple of, but living in sorrow. What would you be willing to do? Would you, would you be willing to die for what you believe in? Here's a bigger question. Would you be willing to sacrifice the lives of your children for what you believe. I mean, me dying for what I believe, that's one thing, right? But sacrificing my children, <laughs> that's a line that many of us would not cross. I remember when um, the movie Saving Private Ryan came out. And I love World War II. I, I love history. If you've been at Lighthouse Rail, you know I love history. I love it. When Sean and I, we, we had the opportunity years ago to go on a Mediterranean cruise. And when we went on that cruise, we flew in a couple of days early so that we could drive from Paris to Normandy. 
where we could actually see where the D-Day landings took place. And we went to Omaha Beach and Utah Beach and, and, and we saw where that terrible day began. And I love World War II history. And, and so when Saving Private Ryan came out, I mean, it's just an epic movie, right? And it starts with the D-Day landings. And I, and I remember watching that, being awestruck, being in a place where it's like, I can't believe that those men went through what they went through. Many of them massacred before they ever got out of the troop carrier to land on the beach. And I was in awe. And watching Saving Private Ryan, it came to life, right? And if you saw Saving Private Ryan, you rem- maybe you remember the story. Um, it, it's about, it, was, it starred Tom Hanks, directed by Steven Spielberg. And Tom Hanks plays the part of Captain John Miller. And after the D-Day landings take place, um, uh, Washington finds out that there is a mother who has four sons who lost three of those sons in battle. Her last son, John Francis Ryan, is alive. They just don't know where he is. They know that he's in the Normandy theater. They don't know where he is. And so Captain John Miller is tasked with forming a group of men whose job is to go throughout the landing area and find John Francis Ryan. One of the soldiers had a great line. They said it was like trying to find a needle in a stack of needles, finding John Francis Ryan. And so that's their job. And so one of the parts that that, that I remember clearly was when in Washington they were trying to decide whether to take up this cause, to, to go throughout who knows how far and wide to find one man, to find one man in this theater. And as General and, and these different men come together to decide whether to do this, General George Marshall pulls out a piece of paper from a book. And he reads a letter from Abraham Lincoln to a lady that we only know as Mrs. Bixby. This is an actual letter. In fact, some have hailed it as a masterpiece of the English language. Some have thought that the letter that Abraham Lincoln wrote to Mrs. Bixby is of such great honor and written so well that it rivals and some even believe that it surpasses the Gettysburg Address. It's been called the finest condolence letter in the English language and General George Marshall in the movie read it. Here's what it says. Dear Madam, I've been shown in the files of the War Department a statement of the Adjutant General of Massachusetts that you are the mother of five sons who have died gloriously on the field of battle. I feel how weak and fruitless must be any words of mine which should attempt to beguile you from the grief of a loss so overwhelming. But I cannot refrain from tendering to you the consolation that may be found in the thanks of the republic they died to save. 
I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Yours very sincerely and respectfully, Abraham Lincoln. A costly price to be paid for a country in the throes of a civil war. To Mrs. Bixby, I believe that words meant something. That all people were created equal. That we all have the opportunity to pursue happiness and freedom. They weren't mere throwaway words. They were real to her. And so we come back to the question, what would you be willing to do to prove what you believe? What would you be willing to do? What steps would you take? What would you be willing to sacrifice for what you believe in? The vast majority of us here will not be remembered for anything that we said. We will be remembered for what we do. See, I, I, as a major part of my job here at Lighthouse, and for those of you who maybe this is your first time here, my name's Doug, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And one of the chief things that I do in my job is I speak. It's what I do. But I guarantee you that there are probably very few of you who can remember any piece of a message that I gave in 2020. Because it's not the words that I say. It's the life that I live that matters. See, the life that I live reveals whether talk is cheap, whether I believe what I say I believe, whether the talk that I say matters at all, and whether you should listen to me at all. You should not be evaluating whether the words I say are strong or powerful only based on how I live my life. Now, I'm not going to stand here at all and pretend that I am perfect because my wife is here this morning. and She'd be able to tell you that I am not remotely perfect. But man, am I seeking to be holy as God is holy. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. Time and again in the Old Testament and then in the New, God says, be holy as I am holy. We don't get to just accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and then just keep on living the way we did. We don't. I will tell you that salvation is free. Free to us, but it cost God something. But we don't get to just stay where we are. We are called to something better and bigger. And it's reflected in how we live our lives. It's not me talking that matters. 
but it's how I live that will outlive me. For the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, we find a man who is willing to put his money where his mouth is. He proclaims this incredible message of love, of God's love. And he would go to places like Athens and ultimately to Rome where they have a panoply of gods. They have a plethora of gods. They have gods all over the place. And Paul went to proclaim the one and only true God. And that that true one and only God is not a long ways away. He's not indifferent or apathetic to you or who you are. Because this God created you. And not only did he create you, but he loves you. He loves you intimately so much so that he would come from heaven to earth. That he would put on flesh and bone. That he would die a grisly, ugly, brutal, terrorizing death. Taking your sin and my sin and Paul's sin upon himself at the cross. So that we could make, be made pure and holy. Not by anything I have done or you done but only by what Christ has done for us and we can have that salvation because Jesus loves us and died for us and rose again so that we have hope in the future and that's the message you would think that the world would look and would cheer and would welcome but I say that Paul put his money where his mouth was because even though he took this amazing message of God's love to a world that desperately needed it. Paul prayed a, paid a price that was far more expensive than money. Time after time after time after time after time after time after city after city after city after village after situation after synagogue after every situation. Paul would be chased and hounded and beaten and stoned and whipped and cursed and arrested time after time after time and in these last chapters acts chronicles the response to paul's belief to his message that paul would go on to make known from city to city to city throughout the Mediterranean Rim. In fact, as you read those last chapters, you see what happens in di different cities like Philippi. In Philippi, Paul sees mobs riot. He's arrested. He's stripped. He's beaten. He's put into stocks. In Thessaloniki, mobs riot. Okay? In Berea, the city is stirred up against Paul's message. In Corinth, Paul is attacked by beaten and taken to court in Ephesus there's a riot and Paul says his final goodbye and in that final goodbye Paul says and now compelled by the Spirit I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what's gonna happen to me there I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me let me read that again okay because it's already happened. At some point, you think Paul's going to go, Lord, when is enough enough? You ever been there? You ever been there in your life? When you're like, God, come on, man. I can't take much more. When is enough enough? And we see all these things that happen to Paul. And it says, I only know that in every city, 
Not in some cities, not in a few cities, not in a couple of cities, in every city. Please, say every city. Every city. The Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. How many of us would look at what we just read and go, God, I'm done. I'm done, man. I am, I, 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 I'm so tired of dealing with this stuff. I mean, come on. Look at what I've gone through. But what does Paul write? He says, however, however. I love that word. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Wow. At this point, all of these things have happened and more is to come. And Paul says, I don't care. I have a message. And Paul says, I am willing to press on, to move forward, to go ahead. Because I believe in what I'm talking about. I got to be honest with you. It's kind of convicting to me. I mean, when somebody posts something mean about me or other Christians, you know, you kind of start whining and complaining. I haven't faced physical abuse. Really, I haven't faced mental or emotional abuse for being a follower of Jesus. And Paul says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the lord jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of god's grace and so he presses on we saw in ephesus that there was riots and his last goodbyes then he goes on to jerusalem which he said he was going to do and in jerusalem there's a riot a huge riot and paul gets arrested and he's beaten and then he's taken from jerusalem to caesarea And in Caesarea, he would be imprisoned for a couple of years. And he would be taken before the governor, the Roman governor, uh, Felix. And he would be tried in front of Felix. And Felix would be relieved of his duties by another governor by the name of Festus. And so Paul would once again be trumped up and brought in front of Festus. And he would proclaim to Festus, this is, and he'd tell the whole story. And Festus, Governor Festus, Roman Governor Festus, amazed at Paul. And what he has to say. And he knows that Paul's not guilty. And he knows that Paul hasn't done anything worthy of of being arrested, much less beaten and abused. But he's not sure what to do until Paul finally says these words. I appeal to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. That was Paul's way of getting to Rome. Getting to Rome. And as a Roman citizen, Paul had the right to make his appeal not to a governor, not to a provincial council, but to the Caesar himself. And so he makes his appeal. And Festus says, to Caesar you want to go, to Caesar you will go. But in the meantime, Festus brings in King Herod Agrippa. King Herod Agrippa, he's called the king, right? And he serves the Jews. He doesn't really serve He is in charge of the northern territory up by Galilee. And so Festus brings in King Herod Agrippa. 
to hear Paul. And Paul's story and his message are so powerful. The king Herod Agrippa is like on the cusp of becoming a follower of Jesus. And Festus says to Agrippa, he says, man, if Paul had not appealed to Caesar, we'd have to let him go. But he transfers him. After a couple of years, he sends Paul away from Caesarea and sends him on his way to Rome. On his way to Rome, of course, Paul gets shipwrecked. He gets shipwrecked on an island called Malta. As they come up off of, out of the water, obviously they're cold, right? So they build this fire, and Paul reaches down, and this, this, this lethal snake, okay? I want you to think like copperhead snake or, or uh, you know, something that one bite, death, right? And so Paul reaches down, and this snake latches onto him and bites him, and everybody, everybody looks at him like, ah, he's a dead man. The only problem is, at this point, Paul is unkillable, obviously. They're amazed. And then finally, Paul makes it to Rome. Paul makes it to Rome. And we're going to talk a little bit more in the next couple weeks about this. But at what point does Paul, in his life, after everything that, that we've just looked at, at what point does Paul say enough is enough? But he never says that because the message is too important. What he believes is too important to give up. To give up to beatings and stonings and whippings and imprisonment and riots. The message he has is a message of life and death. Not just life on this earth. But the more important, eternal life. And so Paul won't give up. In fact, he wrote to the Philippian church. He said, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on. Sometimes in life, we just have to press on. Am I right? Sometimes things happen. And you've heard the old saying, when it rains, it pours. It seems like there are times in life when bad things happen in bunches. For Paul, it was a lifestyle. It, it was almost a life sentence that God had given him. But Paul didn't view the beatings Paul viewed eternity. Paul saw people the way that Jesus sees people. That's one of the prayers, in fact, on that 40 days of prayer, that's one of the things that we will be praying for, is that we see people the way that Jesus sees people. That we don't see them in our anger. That we don't see them in our bitterness, but we see them in love, the love that God has. Help me, dear God, to see people the way you see them. And that's how Paul saw them. They saw them hurting and desperate and hopeless. And the only thing that would change that in their lives is Jesus. And so Paul was willing to take the beatings and the stonings and the abuse and the arrests and the mobs. Because the message was that 
important. It was that important that Paul would press on. Some of you today, maybe you're in that place, you're in that position. And for you, those words, press on, press on. God is with you. God is next to you. God is walking with you. Press on. That's what you needed to hear this morning. Don't give up. Don't give in. It's painful now, but keep your eyes on the prize and press on. Press on, my friends. Paul would go on to say, well, Paul would say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He believed the message he was preaching. So we come back to that question. We come back to that question. What do you believe? What do you believe? And what are you willing to do? How far are you willing to go for your life to testify to what you believe? Not just words, not just words that say, I believe in Jesus, he is my Lord. But my life will show what I believe. If you want to know what Doug Swink believes, then watch what Doug Swink does. I wish I hadn't said that. If you want to know what that person next to you believes, don't just listen to their words. Watch how they live. And so we have to answer this first question. Am I living or merely existing? Am I living or merely existing? You know there's a difference, right? There's a difference between living and just existing. Existing is just trying to make it through the day. And sometimes we have to do that, right? In those times when we're pressing on, sometimes just making it to the next day is a victory. But it's not the way to live your life. How we live, if we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, our lives will count for something. If we're merely existing, they will count for nothing. So, am I living or merely existing? That, that's the question you have to ask yourself. Are you truly living life? Or are you just trying to get to tomorrow? Are you just living life or are you just trying to get to heaven? The next question is, or the next thing is that living, when we talk about living, am I living or am I existing? Living is relationships. Living isn't the amount of money that I make. It's not the house I live in. It's not necessarily my friend group. It's my friends. It's my family. It's my neighbors. Living is about relationships. We all have heard the old saying, money doesn't buy happiness. My happiness is found in my relationships. Which leads us to this thing. I live in communion with God. If I'm really living, I live in communion with God. I live united with God in the same way that I live with Sean. And I'm in communion with Sean, and we share meals, and we talk together, and we're together so much of the time, and we have these deep, intimate conversations. I'm in communion with her, and in the same way, I'm in communion with God. It's the way I live, and I live in communion with others. 
That's what Jesus said when he was asked, what's the greatest, what is the greatest commandment? Pastor Kyle talked about it earlier in the message with the kids. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, that's easy. And he quoted the Shema, found in Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then Jesus said, and the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's what matters to God. Love him and love people. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. Live in communion with God and live in communion with people. And then you will be living. And my friends, anything other than that is cheap. Anything other than living in communion with God and living in communion with other, each other, other than anything other than living life in the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God, anything other than that is just cheap talk and in the end won't matter. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. So, three questions for you and I to ponder in the coming week as we kind of think through this okay the first question is this what do you believe what do you believe and I know for those of us who follow Jesus the easy thing for us to say well I believe in Jesus I believe in the Nicene Creed I believe in in God the Father and Jesus his son and the Holy Spirit I believe in the the holy universal church I believe in that but do you live it Because what you believe is going to be seen in how you live. How you live will outlive you. How you live will outlive you. What do you believe? Second question. Are you merely existing or really living? Are you merely existing or are you really living? Because here's the thing. Really living is expensive. And I'm not talking about houses or cars or food or any of that. Just look at the Apostle Paul. The way he lived cost him a lot. Am I willing to pay that price? And then the third question is this. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? you're living life then your life matters if we are merely existing then life doesn't matter and God created you to matter God loves you and has blessed you to love others to bless others so that they will see him and want him because they see how you are living your life. Would you stand up with me? And bow your heads. Father, thank you so much for Paul's life. God, we live in a world right now that so many words muddy the waters. We live in a time when so many words dilute truth and integrity we live in a time when talk is cheap and it makes life cheap father I pray right now 
I pray that we would be people of substance. Those of us who call Jesus Lord and Savior, I pray that we would be people of substance who don't just merely exist to make it to tomorrow. But like Paul, we would keep our eyes locked on you, Jesus, and take that message of hope and life and be willing to take the pain and the abuse because our hearts are gripped by a world that is hopeless and dying. Father, I know that one of the first ways we can do this One of the first ways that we can show what we believe comes this coming Wednesday at Washington Writers Academy. That we can come and pray over a public school at their invitation. Father, let that be a stepping off point for many of us. That we begin to live life on purpose for a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify you. Thank you, God. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.